Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word, and we thank you that it is living and breathing, and it is powerful, Lord, and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And Father God, you so desire to just cut to the depths of our hearts tonight, Lord, and to open our eyes, Father God, to how you want to transform us and make us more like you. Father, I pray that you would be our teacher tonight, Lord, and at the same time that your spirit would just soften us to receive from you. Father, I just thank you and praise you for your word. I thank you for each person who's here tonight. We're all here by divine appointment, Father God. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Leviticus chapter 9, I titled the message, The Glory of the Lord. And those of you who have been coming on Wednesday nights, we started in Genesis 1, and we've been working our way through. And in Leviticus, we've been looking at the sacrifices. And again, Leviticus is a book that a lot of people avoid, but it's so key to understanding the atoning work of Jesus Christ. So tonight we're going to look at the glory of the Lord and how it can be made manifest in our lives. And just to catch us up to date to where we are, remember that Israel had been in rebellion against God for over 400 years. They'd been in bondage in Egypt. They rebelled against God, they walked away from God, and God allowed them to go into bondage. Even after God delivered them, they continued to murmur and complain and bicker. Remember, they're out and they're complaining, saying, did you bring us out here to die? Moses goes up on the mountain, and while he's up on the mountain, the people gather together and decide to build their own God. And they build a golden calf. Aaron, the high priest, makes a golden calf. They have a big, huge, drunken party. And then Moses comes down from the mountain, and he sees what's going on. He's grieved in his heart. And then he brings command back later to build the tabernacle. Now at this point, Israel becomes obedient. And they, they call out the craftsmen, and people show up, and they begin to build their tabernacle. And those of you might be interested in the tabernacle, it's pretty awesome. Get some of the, uh, the tapes from the book of Exodus. But then the first seven chapters of Leviticus, we saw God's command concerning sacrifice. And each sacrifice that he instituted was important to God because it points to Jesus Christ, and it was showing us our desperate need for a Savior. It revealed our, our need for atonement. It revealed the awfulness of sin, as we've been talking about week after week. And that access to God through sacrifice, while at the same time revealing to us God's attributes. Now remember that the tabernacle was God's dwelling place. I'm bringing all this up because we get in the text tonight, it's going, to be, it's going to be important. But it was God's dwelling place. It was the place where all that furnishing was. The Ark of the Covenant was held there. The place where God's glory would dwell. And God made these commands for the sacrifice, but something was still missing. You know, he had built the tabernacle, it was, all, it was ready. The commands for the sacrifices had come, but something was still missing. And last week we saw what it was, it was the priest. Because even though the, the sacrifices are there, and even though the, the place of God's glory is there, there must be something to intercede between sinful man and holy God. And so there must be a priest, an intercessor. And so last week we looked at the consecration of the priest. We saw that they were set apart for holy use. We saw their, their, their calling came from God and not from men. We then saw that they were equipped. Remember, they were washed. Before they could go in and, and serve, they had to be cleansed completely. The same is true of us. Before you can enter into God's presence, you must have a repentant heart. You break fellowship with God when you sin, and there needs to be restoration, a constant keeping short accounts with God. Then we saw that they were clothed in righteousness. If you guys remember from last week, they wore a tunic, which was a long white coat that they wore. It was a robe. They wore underneath the ephod. It was white, and it pointed to the righteousness of God. They wore a belt, the same thing that Jesus girded himself with, those of you on Sunday mornings, when he washed the disciples' feet, a picture of being a servant. He then wore a blue robe over the top of the, the white tunic, and it was a picture of the heavenly focus. Then on top of that was an ephod, which was a sign of authority. 
And then the onyx stones, you guys remember they were on their shoulders, had each of the, had the 12 tribes of Israel inscribed upon him. And a picture of the fact that the Savior would come and take the burdens upon his shoulders, and that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, and he carries our burdens for us. Then we saw the breastplate, and remember that points to our Lord's compassion. We talked about this last week. There were 12 different colored stones, but all of them were precious gems. And they were held near to the heart of the, of the, of the high priest, a picture of our Savior. And it's awesome to me that it means that we're all precious in God's sight, even though we're all a little different. God makes us different, but we're all precious to Him. Amen? And He holds us all near to His heart. And then lastly, the, the priest wore a turban, which was a picture of his submission to the authority placed over him. They were then anointed with oil, which was a picture of the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, they stayed inside for seven days. So remember, they were all ready to go. The tabernacle's been built. The, the sacrifices are there. And then they're told to wait for seven days. And again, an example for each of us that sometimes we want to get ahead of God. And we don't want to wait upon the Lord. And seven in the Bible is the number of what? Completion. And so they were to wait for God's perfect timing. And that's where we're going to pick up in Leviticus chapter 9 tonight. We're going to look at the glory of the Lord and how it appeared to the people and how it could be made manifest in us. So let's begin in verse 1. So this is right after the seven days. And it said, It came to pass on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. Now the eighth day there is the day after the seven days of consecration, the seven days of intimacy with the Father. Remember we talked about the fact that we cannot minister for the Lord until we've ministered to the Lord. Amen? Why did God create you? To have a relationship with Him. That's first and foremost. And so with, through intimacy with Him, we're able to minister to people outside of us. When you're falling in love with the Lord and you're hanging out with Him and you have a heart of worship, you can't help but minister to the world around you. And so they spent seven days of intimacy with the Father and now on the eighth day, it's time for them to be called. They've been called out by Moses. Now I like this, that God called them. Remember we talked about this before. Men did not elect them. They didn't elect the high priest. They didn't have a big vote. And it's, no, it's not a democratic society when it comes to the Bible. Amen? Democracy is no good when it comes to, to the Lord because men are fallible and sinners. Amen? And you know what? God's the only vote that counts. Right? We can have 900 people voting this way, and God says this over here, and which one wins? Amen? If God says it, that settles it. And so God calls these, these, the high priest, he calls Aaron and his sons, and he calls them out. Now, the eighth day is significant because the eighth day would be the first day of the week, Sunday. What's significant about Sunday? What happened on Sunday? Jesus rose from the dead. Why do we meet on Sunday morning? Because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. The first century church in the book of Acts met on Sunday. Every day is the Lord's day, but we meet on Sunday because that's the day that he rose from the dead. And so Moses calls these guys, it's Sunday. Again, keep that in mind as we take a look at this. Called by God, not elected by men. Again, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. So it says here, they called Aaron with his sons and the elders of Israel. Now, Aaron would be the high priest. And the high priest is a type or a picture of whom? Picture of Jesus, right? What is Jesus doing right now? He's interceding. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us daily. What did the high priest do? He interceded on behalf of the people. The high priest was a representation of God to the people and the people to God. And that's exactly what Aaron would do. So Aaron, in a sense, is a picture or a type of Christ, but at the same time, we're going to see that he's a sinner. So he's been called by God. And it says there that, so the first thing that we need to see 
to see that the, the manif- God's glory be made manifest is, number one, there must be a holy intercessor. There must be one who is holy and perfect to intercede between sinful man and holy God. That's why Muhammad won't work. Amen? That's why Buddha won't work, and Hare Krishna won't work, and Charles Taze Russell, and Mary Baker Eddy, and every, every religious leader you want to pull out, L. Ron Hubbard, all of them are sinners. And sinful men cannot bring sinful man to holy God. There must be a holy, perfect intercessor between sinful man and holy God. So God's glory can only be made manifest, number one, through a holy intercessor. Verse 2. And he said to Aaron, Take for yourself a young bull as a sin offering, and a ram as a burnt offering without blemish, and offer them before the Lord. Now here's the first thing we see that's different about Aaron and the great high priest. Jesus Christ is perfect. He's God. He's sinless. Aaron is not. So before Aaron can intercede on behalf of others, he must first get his own relationship with God right. And that's an example for us. Before you can minister to others, you must be in fellowship with God yourself. You must be walking with the Lord yourself. Your heart before God must be right before you can minister to others. Now it's interesting to me that for seven days, those of you who were here last week, three times a day they were making sacrifices to consecrate these guys, Aaron and his sons, for service to the Lord as priest. They made 21 sacrifices during those seven days, three of them a day. And yet at the end of it, They've been washed, they've been clothed, they've been anointed, but they still had to make atonement for their own sin. What does consecrate mean? Who remembers from last week? Set apart for what? For holy use, right? When you take something and you set it apart specifically to be used for a holy purpose, that's what consecration means. So if you want to consecrate your life, you're saying, Lord, I want you to take my life and use it for your glory alone, for nothing else. I want to consecrate my life unto you. I want to set it apart unto you. And these men had been consecrated for holy use, but they still had to deal with their own individual sin. Aaron's sin still needed to be paid for. And it's interesting to me that it's not enough that Aaron was called by God, and it's not enough that Aaron had the birthright because it was his tribe that was going to be the high priest, and it wasn't enough that he had position, it wasn't enough that he had authority, it wasn't enough that he had the right birth lines. He still needed to have his sins forgiven. And that tells us that it doesn't matter if your great-grandfather was the Pope, right? It doesn't matter, I guess that couldn't happen, right? But it doesn't matter how religious your family was. It doesn't matter, you know, that you grew up on the mission field. It doesn't matter. It's, It's all about where are you at with Jesus Christ. It's an individual relationship. And so even though Aaron's the high priest, he's going to be the intercessor, his own sin must be paid for And it says there, take for yourself a young bull. Does any of your Bibles say calf? Okay, that's a better translation. Now, interesting, he was to take a young calf as what kind of an offering? A sin offering. What did Aaron make when Moses was up on the mountain? What did he make? A golden what? A golden calf. And now the Lord's telling him, I want you to take a calf as a sin offering. Now you can imagine as he's bringing that calf in as a sin offering, what do you think he might be thinking about? Oh man, right? And then, you know, we know at the sin offering, they had to lay their hand, those of you who haven't been here, he had to lay your hand on the head of the animal that was going to take your place. Imagine as he's laying his hand on the head of that, that calf, it may have reminded him when he was back there molding that golden calf with a tool in his hand. And now he's got his hand on this calf, and this calf has done nothing wrong. But the calf is going to pay the price for his sin. 
Laying your hand on, on the head of the animal was saying, this represents me. And now that animal would have to take my spot or take my place. And then he would have to take the animal and slit its throat. And we talked about the fact that this is a very bloody book. But it's bloody because sin is awful. And sin requires a heavy price. And it was letting these guys know every time they made sacrifice that sin required a heavy price. And so he had to slit the throat of this animal. And then he would, after he killed it, he would dip his finger in the blood, and he put the blood on the horns of the altar, and the rest of the blood he would then pour out at the base of the altar and burn the fat on the bronze altar. Again, I'm praising God all the time that we are no longer under the sacrificial system. Amen? Aren't you glad we're not dragging lambs and bulls and goats and rams in here every week to make sacrifice? That'd be, that'd be no fun. I'm just thanking God that the perfect Lamb of God came and took away the sins of the world. Amen? But the sacrifice here is pointing to Jesus, that He would be the one that would take our place, that our hand was laid upon His head in that crown of thorns, a representation of sin. Thorns came into existence in the garden because of, because of sin, and our hand was laid upon His head when that crown was placed upon His head. He took all the sin of mankind upon Himself. And so here He is, this, this priestly line, and He had to make sacrifice. Now it's interesting to me that this is happening on Sunday morning. When did Jesus Christ's priestly ministry begin? When did he become the high priest? Who knows? Who ventures a guess? Resurrection Sunday. Before that, what was he doing? He came to seek and save that which was lost, right? He became man on earth. He wasn't interceding between sinful man and holy God. He was God made manifest in the flesh, walking around on earth, being the godly example for us, and headed to the cross in submission to the Father. But after his resurrection, what happened? We know that he became our intercessor, and that's where he is right now, making intercession for us. So it's interesting that the high priest on Sunday morning became that high priest, was put in that place of intercession, just as Jesus was early Sunday morning. Now, after he would do all these things to the animal, remember that the, with the sin offering, they would then take the hide and the rest of the flesh, and what would they do with it? Who remembers? What did they do with it? They carried it outside of the camp. You guys remember that? And they burned it outside. Why did they do that? What's that a picture of? Jesus went to the cross. Where was the cross? It was not in Jerusalem. It was outside of the city gates. Those of you guys were going to have the... Uh, all the information on Israel on Sunday. We've got everything already. So those of you who are going with us next March, we will go and we will literally see the very spot where Jesus was crucified and be able to see it's at the north side of the city, just outside the city gates. And that's what they did. When they were doing this, they didn't understand what it meant. But they would take the hide and the rest of what was left of the animal on the, at the sin offering and take it outside the city gates and there they would burn it. And it's interesting that they burned it on wood. Wood being a picture of what? The cross. Aaron's greatest sin was the golden calf. His sin offering was a calf. Now it says there also that he was to take a calf and a, and then it says a lamb. Or excuse me, back in verse 2. And a ram as a burnt offering. Now remember what the burnt offering was? It was a picture of Christ's total dedication. The burnt offering, they slit the animal's throat and they burnt it completely. But look what it says about these animals. They had to be without what? Blemish, which means perfect. Who's again is that a picture of? A picture of Jesus Christ. So... The animal had to be perfect. So the glory of God, for the glory of God to be made manifest in us, it also requires a perfect sacrifice to atone for our sin. There must be a holy intercessor and there must be a perfect sacrifice. 
Guess what? All the other religions, game over already, right? They don't have a holy intercessor and they don't have a perfect sacrifice. Only Jesus Christ. So Aaron the high priest is a sinner in need of a Savior. He could not draw near to God even with his righteousness, his position, or his birthright. Only through a perfect sacrifice. Now, verse 3. And the children of Israel you shall speak, saying, Take a kid of the goats as a sin offering, and a calf and a lamb, both of the first year without blemish, as a burnt offering. Now the children of Israel were God's chosen people, right? But at the same time, this sacrifice needed to be instituted so that His chosen people, in spite of their sinfulness, would have access to holy God and that He might dwell among them. Without the sacrifice, His own chosen people had no access to Him. So there must be a sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sin. Now this young lamb was a, for a burnt offering. Again, a picture of total dedication. And remember that they burnt the, the, the uh, burnt offering on the bronze altar. Remember those of you here in Exodus. Bronze in the Bible is always a picture of what? Who remembers? Judgment. Remember? When you see bronze in the Bible, it's judgment. And so the bronze altar was that place of judgment where gold is a picture of deity. That's why all the articles within the Holy of Holies were gold, and the articles outside were made of bronze. So again, they had to be without blemish, and they had to be perfect. Verse 4, Also a bull and a ram as a peace offering, to sacrifice before the Lord. Now, the peace offering was in celebration. Remember, it always went in this order, you guys. It was always sin offering, then burnt offering, then sometimes a grain offering, but then the peace offering. It was never a peace offering before the burnt offering. It was never a peace offering before the sin offering. Why? Because without our sin being paid for, without the total dedication of our Savior to go to the cross on our behalf, we could never have peace. Amen? So there must be the sin offering and then the burnt offering before there could be the peace offering. There must be shedding of blood for remission of sin. Without it, there can be no peace. Now, this peace offering was, was different in that where the other offerings, it was, they were burnt in total or, or none of it was eaten. Well, the peace offering, part of it was given to the Lord. The best part, the fat, was given to the Lord. But the, the, then a portion of it was eaten by the person who was giving up the sacrifice. Now, why was that? It was a picture of a fellowship meal between God and man. It was to say, because of the shed blood, because of the forgiveness of sin, now you and I have a relationship. And in those days, one of the things they did for fellowship above all others, and we still do it today, is they would have a meal together. It was like almost like if, if two camps were enemies, to celebrate a treaty, they would have a big meal together. And we were, at, we were enemies of God. We were away from the Lord, and through the burnt offering, and through this this shedding of blood for a mission of sin, we now can enter back into fellowship with Him. So the best of these sacrifices was offered to the Lord, and the remainder of it was again eaten by the one making the offering. It says there, they would also give the Lord before the, uh, it says a sacrifice before the Lord, verse 4, and a grain offering mixed with oil. Grain points to the what of Christ? Who remembers? The grain offering. The perfection. Remember that the grain offering was fine flour, sifted, without any lumps. It was unleavened, which means touched by, not touched by what? By sin or evil. Leaven in the Bible is always sin. So unleavened means without sin or perfect. It was mixed with oil. The oil in the Bible is a picture of what? The Holy Spirit. So we see here this perfect wheat without, or this perfect flour, 
uh, sifted so there's no lumps in it, and it's mixed with oil, a perfect picture of Christ's perfection. And then I love the rest of this verse. Look what it says. A grain offering mixed with oil, for today the Lord will appear to you. How many of you like to hear that? Today the Lord will appear to you. How many of you are looking to hang out with the Lord? Now here's the good news, you guys. These guys had just set up the, the tabernacle, and in front of the Holy of Holies, there was already a veil there, remember? And that veil, only the great high priest, only the high priest could go in, not the great high priest, because that's Jesus, but the high priest could go in through the veil and make sacrifice in only once a year. But here's the good news. When Jesus died on the cross, what happened to the veil in the temple? It was torn from top to bottom because God tore it. Amen? Just as the Bible says in Hebrews that the veil is his flesh, and when the, his flesh was torn, so was the veil. And the good news is that you and I can enter into God's presence anywhere and anytime. And you want to seek after the glory of the Lord, I'm going to give you some more ways to make it manifest in your life, but we just need to come to Him. Through the atoning work of sacrifice, fellowship is restored between sinful man and holy God. Verse 5, So they brought what Moses commanded before the tabernacle of meeting, and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. So they brought what Moses commanded. The people responded in obedience to the Word of God. So number three, you want to see God's glory made manifest in your life? Respond in obedience to the Word of God. You know what? We act like sometimes obedience is a no-fun bummer, right? The Bible says to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams, 1 Samuel 15, 22. The greatest form of worship of all is obedience. You know, singing praise songs is worship, but it's not the highest form because we can sing praise songs and live like the world. Amen? You know, reading our Bibles can be a form of worship. Prayer can be a form of worship. But the highest form of worship is saying, Lord, I trust you so much, I'm going to do what you say. Lord, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to obey you. You're my Lord, my God, my King. I give my life to you. And it's not I surrender some, amen? It's I surrender all. And so you want to see God's glory be made manifest in your life? Walk in obedience to the Word of God. And by the way, you can't walk in obedience to something you don't read. Amen? So I say read the book, don't wait for the movie, right? I mean, we need to crack this thing open and read the Bible because if we don't spend time in His Word, we won't be able to follow God's, you know, the owner's manual for life. You get an owner's manual with a new car, right? This is our owner's manual right here. Amen? God gave it to us out of His love for us to lead and to guide and to direct our lives. It says there, so they brought all the commanded before the tabernacle of meeting. The tabernacle is God's dwelling place. So all God's people drew near to the place where God dwelt. I'll tell you what, what, kind of, what would happen to Santa Cruz County if everybody here that loved the Lord would just draw near to where God dwelt? What would happen? These guys all showed up and they drew near to Him and said, Lord, we want to be near Your presence. We want to draw near to You. We don't want to be distracted by the world. You know, guys could have said, hey man, everybody's going down the tabernacle. This would be a good time for me to go fishing. There'll be nobody else out at the lake, right? I mean, I mean, you can look around and there's times you can look at the world and you say, hey, there's so many other things I could be doing than hanging out with the Lord. But I love the fact that the entire congregation showed up. They stood before the Lord, it says, and that talks about humility with reverence and devotion. They came to God's dwelling place and they stood before the Lord, it says in verse 5. Number 4, if you want to have the glory of God made manifest in your life. You need to come before Him in humility, in reverence, and devotion. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in worship. You know what? I love my wife, and I love talking to my wife. 
And you know what? The Bible says we are the bride of Christ. Amen? And so there needs to be a two-way conversation going on in our, in our relationship with the Lord. He speaks to us through His Word, and we speak to Him in our prayer life. He can also speak to us through the Holy Spirit, but we need to have a two-way communication with God. And these guys drew near to the Lord, and they stood before the Lord, and they were excited to hear what God was going to say. Verse 6. Then Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord commanded you to do, and the glory of the Lord will appear to you. Moses delivers God's word to the people, and obedience would result in God's glory being revealed. You want to see God do great things in your life? Walk in obedience to Him. Put Him first. Lord, I love you above all else. Lord, I'm going to walk with you. It doesn't matter what it's going to cost me. A man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Amen? You give away stuff that's perishing. They're deck chairs on the Titanic, right? It's all sinking ship anyway. And we can give that stuff away to seek after that which is eternal. And so we, that's the heart here is, Lord, I want to seek you above all else. I want to have a heart for you. I want to walk with you. I want to follow your commands because that's when your glory will appear. Verse 7. And Moses said to Aaron, Go to the altar. Offer your sin offering, your burnt offering, and make atonement for yourself and for your people. Offer the offering of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord commanded. So Moses said to Aaron, go to the altar. You know what? Aaron did not take the office himself. Aaron didn't say, I'm the guy going to the altar. Right? Aaron didn't say, I, I'll do it. I'm the guy. You know, I'm the biggest, I'm the tallest, I got the stick, you know, I'm going, right? I mean, Aaron didn't do that, right? Instead, it was God who called him, and then he was obedient to God's calling upon his life. And too often, we want to call ourselves into things. If you call yourself, it's going to fail. Amen? You're all called. I want to encourage you with that. But know that God has a specific calling on your life. Called by God through Moses, inside of all the congregation, as he's standing there, the whole congregation is right there in front of the tabernacle. And he turns to Aaron and says, Aaron, go up to the altar. And everybody's there and they're watching Aaron go up to the altar. They know that God's hand is upon him. This is the man that God has chosen. And he's walking up to the altar to make sacrifice. Aaron went to the altar in submission to the word of God through Moses. You know what that reminds me of? Jesus went to the cross in submission to the will of the Father. Amen? Aaron went to the altar in submission to the word of God and the command of Moses, one who God put in authority over him, just as Jesus went to the cross in submission to the perfect will of the Father. We need to learn to have submitted hearts. So the sin offering would point to redemption, and the burnt offering was an offering of total dedication. Had to make offerings for himself first before he could intercede for others. You notice that it says, you make offerings for yourself, then you make offerings for the people. Again, we need to keep short accounts with God. We must have our first focus on our own walk before we start trying to straighten out other people's lives. Amen? We need to start looking at my own life and say, Lord, how am I doing? Lord, I need to keep short accounts with you. Lord, I need to be on my face before you. Lord, I need your wisdom and direction for my own life before I start trying to go out and fix everybody else's life. You know, a few weeks ago, we talked about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And I talked about the fact that Jesus didn't get up and give a dirty feet seminar. You know, Peter, get up here. Look at his feet. What a stinking violent... Dude, do you have any manners whatsoever? I mean, he wasn't blasting these guys. Instead, he girded himself, he got down on his knees, and he washed their feet. And I'd written in my notes, and I didn't say it that Sunday, but I said, you know, unless you're willing to wash some feet, don't be pointing out the dirt. Amen? 
If you're not willing to get on your knees and wash other people's feet and love them and esteem them greater than yourself and serve them, then don't be pointing out their flaws. Amen? And so we see here the same thing is true. He says, Aaron, before you make sacrifice for anybody else, you've got to get right yourself. You've got to start with your own heart. You've got to start with your own walk. So number five in making God's glory manifest in your life, keep short accounts with God. Be in a place of constant fellowship. Remember, no fellowship, no glory. If we get out of God's fellowship, we will not see the glory of God. Verse 8. Aaron therefore went to the altar and killed the calf of the sin offering that was for himself. The high priest brought the offering for himself first. And what's interesting to me is the whole congregation saw it. Even though he was the high priest, they all knew that he had a need for atonement in his life. You know what? I'm very careful to make sure you guys know, and you know anyway if you hang out with me for five minutes, I'm a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. Amen? And I need to be just transparent with you guys that I struggle in my walk with God. And sometimes I, I'm, I'm not the person I'm supposed to be. And sometimes I blow my testimony and I blow it. And because of that, I am in desperate need of a perfect, holy God. A Savior who would suffer and die that I might have eternal life. And here Aaron, though he's being elevated to that position, they're also seeing very clearly that he's just a man. Because the first thing that has to happen is he has to go up and make atonement. And remember, these are the same people he made the golden calf for. They know he's blown it, right? He made a golden calf and the earth opened up and a bunch of folks got swallowed, okay? So that wasn't a good program. Not a good idea, Aaron. I don't think that'll work, right? And so now they're seeing him, though, going up and having to make sacrifice. They see that he's in a place of authority, but at the same time, he's not God and he's not perfect. That's a good thing for pastors to remember today. Verse 9, Then the sons of Aaron brought the blood to him, and he dipped his finger in the blood and put it on the horns of the altar and poured the blood at the base of the altar. The sons of Aaron were the priests, and they took the blood of the calf, and they, the, the, there was a basin that was underneath where they would slit its throat, and it would just be full of blood. That's not the job I want. But they bring the blood over, and he takes his finger, and he dips his finger in the blood, and then he applies it to the four horns. Now the four horns, remember, what's that a picture of? The cross. Remember there's four points on the cross. All four points, you got the blood on his head, and both of his hands, and on his feet. And they would take, the, all, the horns is the place they would tie down the sacrifice when they would slit its throat. And so, just as they tied down or nailed down our Savior to the cross. And so, as the high priest was taking his blood on his finger and putting it on the four points, it was a clear picture of the cross that was yet to come that would ultimately pay the price for his sin. Verse 10. And I want to say one other thing. They did pour the rest of the blood out at the, the base of the altar. Remember, that's a picture of Christ. Remember when Jesus died on the cross? There was blood all over the base of the cross. He had been scourged. His skin was gone. He was bleeding. It was a picture of what would happen to our Savior. Verse 10. But the fat and the kidneys and the fatty lobe from the liver of the sin offering he burned on the altar as the Lord commanded Moses. The best of the sacrifice, again, given to the Lord. The glory of God is made manifest in us, revealed to those around us. Number six, by not holding back from God, but by giving Him our very best. You want to see God glorified? Give Him the best that you have. Do you think God will do a better job with what you have than you're doing? Think He might take care of it a little better than you do? So instead, it's coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, everything I have, my gifts, my talents, my abilities, Lord, it's all yours. I put it into your hands, Lord. Your perfect will be done. And you know what? That's when God will be glorified. 
when we die to our will and our passions and our desires and we say, Lord, I'm going to seek first your kingdom and I'm going to put it all into your hands that you alone might be glorified. Verse 11. The flesh and the hide he burned with fire outside the camp. Again, a picture of the cross. Jesus crucified outside the walls of Jerusalem. Verse 12. And he killed the burnt offering and Aaron's sons presented to him the blood which he sprinkled all around the altar. Now in verse 12, the burnt offering, again, he would take this ram for himself. Remember when they sacrificed the burnt offering, they always did it on what side of the altar? Who remembers? The north side. Why? Because just north of where the temple was, the tabernacle in in Jerusalem, right outside, due north is where the cross would be. So again, hundreds of years before it happened, a clear picture of the cross. Again, he put his hand on its head, he would slit its throat, it would be burnt completely, a burnt offering to the Lord. But then he would sprinkle the blood, and it's interesting again that the high priest was the one that had the blood on his hands and would sprinkle the blood, just as our Savior would be the one that the blood would be upon his hands, and he would be the one that the blood would pour from him. Verse 13, then they presented the burnt offering to him with its pieces and head, and he burned them on the altar. Again, what a great pretty picture, right? They would take the animal, and they would, they would slit its throat, and then they would skin it, and then they would cut it into pieces, and they would take it, and then they would burn it. Again, a real clear picture of the torment that our Savior went through. When we go to Jerusalem, in the last, I don't know how many years, they've uncovered the praetorium where Jesus was actually scourged. And they have it, you stand there in the place where Jesus was scourged, where they put, tied him to the pole, and they beat him with 30, 40 lashes minus one. And we know that many people died after seven or eight lashes, and our Savior died the most heinous death. He was innocent, He's perfect, He's holy, He's God, and He did it for you and I. How much does He love us? And so we see here that when they cut the animal to pieces and they skinned it, it was just a foretelling of what was going to happen to our Savior when He went to the cross for us. Verse 14, And He washed the entrails and the legs and burned them with the burnt offering on the altar. Now we went through this earlier. We talked about washing the entrails. Now again, high priest, not a fun job, right? You're cutting animals to pieces and then you're cleaning out the, uh, the entrails. And, I, and what this is clearly a picture of is the cleansing of even the deep and hidden sin that's in your life that nobody can see. It's filth that nobody else knows is there, but it still needs to be cleansed. They sacrifice it with total dedication on the altar going to the cross. And again, we see here number seven in manifesting God's glory is being transparent in our confession. How many of you have ever been guilty of holding back from confessing sin to God because it's just too heavy? Sometimes we hold on to sin. We got one sin we want to hold on to. We got that pet sin, right? We got this one area of our life we just don't want to give up. Here's the reality, guys. God knows you're a sinner. Amen? And He knows every stinking vile sin you've ever committed, and He still loves you. He that knows me best loves me most. Praise God. Amen? But He sees it, and for us to see God's glory may manifest in our life, we've got to come before God and be transparent. He already sees it. He wants us just to come before Him and say, Lord, I'm blowing it. Lord, here's the sin that's in my life. Lord, forgive me. And Lord, help me to walk in holiness. Help me to walk in obedience. Lord, without you, I can do nothing. I'm struggling in this area of my life. Lord, forgive me. And so we need to be transparent even in our confession. Finally, we have the offerings for the people, verse 15. Then he brought the people's offerings. So all those were for the priest. 
in preparation that he might be able to make offerings on behalf of the people. Then he brought the people's offering and took the goat, which was the sin offering for the people, and killed it and offered it for sin like the first one. He offers it for sin just like he had his own. And he brings there, it says, a goat. Now remember that the goat is a picture of sin. And later with the, with the Jews, what did they use a goat for? Who remembers? They would take the goat and they would sacrifice one. And they would take the other one to the edge of the desert. And they would confess all the sins of Israel over it. And they would send the goat out into the desert to take the sins of Israel with it. And it had a name. What was it called? scapegoat. That's where the term comes from. And so they confess the sins on the goat, and they'd send the goat out into the desert to take the sins with it, and it was called the scapegoat. So the goat was taking the place or taking the sin of man upon himself. And so too, again, we see a picture of our Savior, that this sin offering for the people, again, hand on the head, he would kill it, put the blood on its horns, the rest of the blood poured out at the altar, and the fat would be burned on the bronze altar. For the sin of the people. And like the first one, Aaron's own sin offering, the high priest and the common people both needed a sacrifice. Billy Graham needs a sacrifice just as much as Charles Manson. Amen? Or Osama bin Laden, right? Or whoever. The, the person you think of as the most vile sinner, you know, Saddam Hussein, whoever you want to pick, that person is a sinner, but so too is the most holy, righteous person you think that you know. And Aaron needed sacrifice, and so did the common people, and so do every single one of us. So we see here that that they first gave the sin offering, and then verse 16, he brought the burnt offering and offered it according to the prescribed manner. The burnt offering, he brought a calf and a lamb, again, hand on its head. I cannot imagine holding a little lamb. Have you ever petted lambs before? They're, you know, they're dumb, but they're cute, right? I mean, sheep are dumb animals, we know that. We're called sheep in the Bible, by the way, because we're dumb, right? I mean, you know, sheep make the same mistakes over and over again. They walk into fire. They'll get, in the same, they'll get stuck in the same ditch 50 times in a row. Let's keep walking around and say, and they get pulled out. And they finally have to put something over it. They'll get stuck in the same hole in the fence because they're dumb animals. And, you know, the Bible says that we are his sheep. Amen? Well, we're dumb. We need the good shepherd. Amen? And he's a good shepherd. Praise God for that. But here's the thing. Can you imagine taking that little lamb, and they're just so soft, and holding that little face in your hand, and looking in its eyes, and realizing what it was going to suffer because of me. Again, a, a precursor, or a picture, of what Jesus would do on our behalf. And here we see Aaron having to slit the throats of the animal to burn it completely and to do it according to God's command. Verse 17. Then he brought the grain offering, took a handful of it, and burned it on the altar beside the burnt sacrifice of the morning. Again, the grain offering was a picture of the sinless perfection of the Savior. He would take a small portion and burn it on the altar, and the rest of it was for him and his family to eat. Now, grain has no blood in it. So how... Is this the shedding of blood for the remission of sins? That's why they put it on top of the burnt offering. Because you cannot make an offering that did not have the shedding of blood. Because life is in the blood. That's what the Bible tells us. So Christ's total devotion is total perfection. And the burnt sacrifice, it says, upon the burnt sacrifice of the morning. Do you know that the bronze altar had sacrifice on it constantly? They were to never, ever let the fire go out. So the priest would be out there 
just building the fire and leaving the fire on the bronze altar 24-7. The smoke was coming up. The aroma of the offering was coming up so that the people of Israel would constantly be reminded of their need for forgiveness, of their need for a sacrifice. And you know what? Our hearts should be the same way. We should always remember what Christ did for us. We should never let it grow common or grow old. You know, I love when we take communion. You know, we only do it once a month, but when we take communion, it's just to remember the cross. It's to remember the work that Christ did for us. Verse 18, He also killed the bull and the ram as sacrifices of of peace offerings. Again, He did it for Himself, and now He's doing it on behalf of the people. It says, which were for the people. And Aaron's son presented to him the blood, which he sprinkled all around the altar. So the first was the sin offering, and then the burnt offering, and then the grain offering, and then the peace offering. Again, always in that order, because without redemption, without the total devotion of our Savior, without His sinless perfection, you and I would never, ever know peace. Verse 19. And the fat from the bull and the ram and the fatty tail that covers the entrails and the kidneys and the fatty lobe attached to the liver, and they put the fat on the breast and they burn the fat on the altar. So what did they give to God? The best part of the sacrifice. Now remember, those of you who have been coming on Friday mornings, we're going through 1 Samuel, and Eli had two sons. Who remembers their names? Hophni and Phinehas. What did they do? They went in, and they took a crook, and they took part of that offering that belonged to the Lord, and they took it for themselves. Remember that? We give it to the Lord because we're saying, Lord, you're more important than anything else that I have. Lord, I give to you of my first fruits, not my leftovers. The first fruits of my time, the first fruits of my gifts, the first fruits of my finances, the first fruits of everything. Don't open up your Bible, and I said this a few weeks ago, when you're about to drool on it because you're about to fall asleep. Don't give God the last two and a half minutes of your day after watching six hours of TV. That's not your first fruits, amen? And you don't go out and, and you know, go nuts buying everything in the world and give God 50 cents because that's all that's left in your checking account at the end of the month. I mean, we give to the Lord first. And again, I've told you at Calvary Chapel, it's never about money here. That's not the issue. We don't even pass an offering, and you know why. Because we want the focus to be on the Lord. But you give, and we should give, because of our love for Him. Lord, I love you. It all belongs to you. Lord, I don't give you 10% or 15% or whatever percent God puts on my heart. Lord, 100% belongs to you. Everything that I have, it's all yours, Lord. I give you the best that I have. And so we see here that of the offering, they were to give the best of the offering to the Lord. Verse 21. But the breast and the right thigh, and some of your translations say shoulder, and that's a better translation, Aaron waved as a wave offering before the Lord as Moses had commanded. Now remember the wave offering was the breast and the shoulder. And they would, what they would do is they would wave it before the Lord, and then that became the offering or the sustenance for the priest. That's what he ate. That's how he provided for himself and for his family. And so they would wave it to say, Lord, we know this is yours and it belongs to you. And they would wave it before God and then they would bring that home and that would provide for their family. Now it's interesting that the priest took the breast and he took the shoulder because he was to have a heart for the people and he was to carry the burdens of the people. Amen? He was to bring the burdens of the people before the Lord and he was to have a heart for the people. So he had the part of the sacrifice that was near the heart, and he had the part that was on the shoulder. Again, a picture of what Christ does for us. We are near and dear to his heart, 
and he is the one that shoulders our burdens. Last three verses. I want you to see this. I like this part here. This is good. The glory of God that appears to all people. Look at verse 22. Then Aaron lifted his hand toward the people and blessed them and came down from offering the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offerings. So he lifted up his hand, and it was in prayer. And we know from Numbers, you probably have heard this before. Any of you have ever been to Calvary Costa Mesa, you've heard this before. And here's what the high priest would say after making the sacrifice for the people. It's in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. He says, the Lord, they would hold up his hand and say, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. How many of you ever heard that before? Right? Great benediction. So every time they would make sacrifice, the high priest would come up and he would point the people to the Lord. And this is the benediction that he gave. It's in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. Now here's what I find interesting. It says he blessed them. He gave them this benediction. Then he came down from offering the sin offering. We know that if you look in the Bible that the altar was elevated and it was elevated up a slight grade on a slight hill. What does that sound like? What's up? What was on a hill? The cross. And where did Jesus pay our sin offering? On the cross. And it says here that the high priest would come down from the altar. A picture to me, again, of Jesus being crucified on our behalf to pay the price for the sin offering, the burnt offering, and to bring to us the peace offering. He came down from the, this elevated altar, again, a picture of the cross. And it's there that that redemption came, that the total devotion was, where there was fellowship restored between sinful man and holy God, a picture of the cross. Verse 23, And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Now again, this is Pastor Dave's supposition. I just want to be real clear about that. I didn't read this anywhere. But verse 23, if verse 22 points to the cross, what might verse 23 point to? It says, Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting. In the Bible, Moses is a picture of what? The law. What does the law do? It condemns us. It tells us that we're what? Sinners. Without the law, the law is a taskmaster that leads us, or schoolmaster that drives us to the cross. We have the law, not that we're saved by the law, but that the law would reveal to us that we're sinners. It's like a mirror. Many of you know as a youth pastor forever, and I used to tell kids, it's a mirror. And if you look in the mirror, you know when your face is broken out, right? You look in the mirror and you go, oh man, my face is broken out. I need to get some Oxy-10 or something, right? And so, but you don't do this. When you look and you see your face is broken out, you don't take the mirror and start rubbing it on your face. Because it's not going to do you any good. But that's what a lot of people try to do with the law. They look at the law and say, oh, it reveals I'm a sinner, so now I've got to keep all the laws to somehow earn God's favor. The Jews today say there are 252 laws they must keep. Ever witness to somebody that's an Orthodox Jew that's following after that? I ask them, so how's that working out? Not real good. I know 10 of them. You're, not, you're blowing it on those for sure. So how do you get to heaven? Oh, it's very difficult. You must keep the law. I go, dude, there ain't nobody keeping those laws. You haven't kept it today. Those 252 laws. The law is a taskmaster that leads us to the cross. And here I love that Moses is going into the tabernacle and who's coming with him? Aaron. Aaron's a picture of what? The high priest. The grace of God. Amen? You've got the law going into the tabernacle with the picture of grace. Right? The law, law and grace going into the tabernacle. I like that. 
And so it says that they went in together, right? And they came out and they blessed the people. Now, when they came out, the glory of God appeared to all the people. Again, Pastor Dave, all right? Just me, maybe, right? Studying the Word. I believe this is a picture of the resurrection. When they came out, what did they see? It says the glory of God was revealed to all the people. The law and grace go in together, and it comes out and reveals the glory of God. God took the the law, the sin of mankind, upon himself, and he came down from that altar where the sin offering was given, and he went into the, to the, uh, to the tomb, and then he came out, and what did people see when he came out? The glory of God revealed to all people. He revealed himself to everybody. He made himself man, there he was. By the way, you go to Israel with us again, you're going to see the tomb where Jesus stepped out of. It's pretty awesome. I mean, I, st- I mean, I was blown away sitting in the tomb realizing Jesus, my Savior, laid there. But the good news is that tomb's empty. Amen? Because on the third day he rose from the dead and he triumphed over sin and death. And we see here that they came out and they blessed the people. The first time Aaron blessed the people by himself, but this time Moses and Aaron blessed them together. The good news is that once the glory of God's been revealed, that we're no longer under the law anymore. The law points us to the Savior, but the price has been paid. He went to the cross for us. We don't look at the law as as something that we try to achieve, but we make it as a mirror, again, that reveals to us our sin. So Moses, the mediator of the law, and Aaron, the high priest, the type of Christ, go into the tabernacle together. They come out and they bless the people. Now while they were in there, what Moses did is he initiated the service that was done in the temple. The golden lampstand, the table of showbread, the altar of incense. Moses took him in there, and he began to do the works of the high priest. Remember the golden lampstand points to the fact that Jesus is what? The light of the world. The table of showbread points to the fact that Jesus is what? The bread of life. The altar of incense points to the fact that Jesus is making intercession, intercession for us daily. When you went into the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant was a perfect picture of the tomb because you had the angels on both ends and they would take the blood and they would sprinkle it in the middle. And when they went on Resurrection Sunday, what did they see? When they peeked in, they saw the angel at the foot and at the head and the, the blood-stained cloth in the middle. A perfect picture of the cross, hundreds of years before it happened. Man, I love the Bible. And if you read the Old Testament, you're just going to see Jesus, Jesus, Jesus all over the place. Last verse. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Man, I like this. Now, fire came out from before the Lord. This is heavenly confirmation of his acceptance of the offering, of Aaron's authority, of the tabernacle that had just been established. It consumed the burnt fire, I mean the burnt offering. This miracle did such a way that it gave the fullest conviction to the people that were there. They looked and saw it and there was no doubt this was God. If they had questioned Aaron before, they couldn't question him anymore. They questioned Moses before, they couldn't question him anymore. But you know what I thought about? If verse 22 points to the cross, and verse 23 points to the resurrection, what might verse 24 point to with the fire coming out? Holy Spirit. What happened at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2? The Holy Spirit came upon them with, with what? Tongues of fire. And what happened to them when the Holy Spirit came upon them? They began to do what? Speak in other tongues, the wonderful works of God, the Bible says, right? You know what this word shout here means? It means they shouted worship. 
the wonderful works of God. So the same thing that happened in Acts chapter 2 is happening here in verse 24. So you've got the picture of the cross, then a picture of the resurrection, then a picture of Pentecost in three verses in Leviticus chapter 9. You've got to love the Bible. And so you see here that this fire came and consumed it, and when it consumed it, the people could not doubt. They couldn't say, oh, well, you know, Aaron's really not the guy, and, you know, this tabernacle thing, I'm not so sure about it. God said, let me just make it real clear that this is my perfect will. And when the people saw it, they shouted shouts of worship, and then they fell on their faces in awe and reverence of His holiness and of their own unworthiness. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah said this, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You know what? Have you ever been so intimate with the Lord in worship or in prayer that you are just undone? Do you know what I'm talking about? You're just blown away at how awesome God is, and you're, you're man, you realize how unworthy you are. You are, and you realize how great God is. And you just want to stay right there. Amen? You just want to stay there. And that's what happened here. They fell on their faces. They shouted in worship, then they fell on their faces before God, and they were undone. They said, God is so awesome. He's so incredible. There's no doubt that this is the Lord. So in review, eight things I wrote down. The glory of the Lord to be made manifest in our lives and revealed to people. Number one, it requires a holy intercessor. Sin is not allowed in God's presence. So you cannot have a sinful person take your place to bring you into the presence of a holy God. It requires a perfect sacrifice to atone for our sin because you and I cannot do it on our own. Number three, it results in obedience to the Word of God. If we want to be, the glory of God to be made manifest in us, we need to walk in obedience to His Word. Number four, we come before Him in humility, in reverence, and devotion. We have the heart of a servant, and when you do the glory of God will be made manifest in us. Number five, we need to keep short accounts with God. We cannot, God can't speak through us and be used in us if we are not in fellowship with Him. Amen? We need to be in a place where we're just constantly seeking restoration in our walk with Him. Number six, not holding back on God, giving Him our very best. Number seven, being transparent in our confession. Don't try to bury or hold on to sin. God knows your heart. Come before Him with transparency. And then lastly, when we spend intimate time with God, we bring God's glory to others. When you spend intimate time with the Lord, when you pray, you know, I have a real burden to pray for you guys every week, by name. And it's amazing that Bill will attest to this. Every time we sit down to pray, it's amazing. One week we sit down to pray, and, and I mean literally one minute into our prayer time, the phone rings, and Michelle had been in a car accident. Then, the, then the, next, the very next time we get ready to pray, the phone rings and my daughter's throwing up in the office at school and, and my wife's home with a, another sick child, so I have to stop and go get her. And then the next, I mean, it was like, it was just a comedy. And we'd sit there and start praying, the phone would ring, we'd just look at each other, here it goes. But you know what? We need to spend intimate time with the Lord that we may have intimate fellowship with Him, and as we minister to the Lord and intercede on behalf of others, that's when God will use us to minister to those around us. Amen? It's that, we've got to have that intimacy with Him. If you're not intimate with Him, you can't bring others to a place you've never been yourself. Amen? So I want to encourage us all. May we be people who seek that the glory of God be made manifest in our lives. And that only happens when we die. Amen? When we die to our will, it's no longer about me. 
I must decrease, as John said, that he might increase. The less there is of me, the more there can be of him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you that it does apply to our lives today. Help us, Lord, to be reflections of you. Help us, Lord, to truly be the moon or reflection of the sun. Lord, I pray that we would live lives, Father God, consecrated to you, and that, that, Father God, we would keep short accounts with you, and that, Father, we would be people who spend time in intimate prayer and time in your holiness, in holy presence, Father God. And I just thank you for each person who's here tonight, Lord. Help us, Father God, to be, to be obedient to your word and just to love you with our whole hearts. And, Father God, we're excited to see what you want to do with us, Father God. May we decrease that your spirit would increase. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's all stand and close our worship song.